0: Section 33 of The Frontier in American History by Frederick Jackson Turner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Chapter 10. Pioneer Ideals and the State University. Part 1. Footnote. Commencement Address at the University of Indiana, 1910. End of Footnote the ideals of a people their aspirations and convictions their hopes and ambitions their dreams and determinations are assets in their civilization as real and important as per capita wealth or industrial skill this nation was formed under pioneer ideals during three centuries after captain john smith struck the first blow at the american forest on the eastern edge of the continent the pioneers were abandoning settled society for the wilderness seeking for generation after generation new frontiers their experiences left abiding influences upon the ideas and purposes of the nation indeed the older settled regions themselves were shaped profoundly by the very fact that the whole nation was pioneering and that in the development of the west the east had its own part the first ideal of the pioneer was that of conquest it was his task to fight with nature for the chance to exist not as in older countries did this contest take place in a mythical past told in folklore and epic it has been continuous to our own day facing each generation of pioneers was the unmastered continent vast forests blocked the way mountainous ramparts interposed desolate grass-clad prairies barren oceans of rolling plains arid deserts and a fierce race of savages all had to be met and defeated the rifle and the axe are the symbols of the backwoods pioneer they meant a training in aggressive courage in domination in directness of action in destructiveness to the pioneer the forest was no friendly resource for posterity no object of careful economy he must wage a hand-to-hand war upon it cutting and burning a little space to let in the light upon a dozen acres of hard-won soil and year after year expanding the clearing into new woodlands against the stubborn resistance of primeval trunks and matted roots he made war against the rank fertility of the soil while new worlds of virgin land lay ever just beyond it was idle to expect the pioneer to stay his hand and turn to scientific farming indeed as secretary wilson has said the pioneer would in that case have raised wheat that no one wanted to eat corn to store on the farm and cotton not worth the picking thus fired with the ideal of subduing the wilderness the destroying pioneer fought his way across the continent masterful and wasteful preparing the way by seeking the immediate thing, rejoicing in rude strength and willful achievement. But even this backwoodsman was more than a mere destroyer. He had visions. He was finder as well as fighter, the trailmaker for civilization, the inventor of new ways. Although Rudyard Kipling's Forloper deals with the English pioneer in lands beneath the Southern Cross, yet the poem portrays American traits as well. Quote, the gull shall whistle in his wake the blind wave break in fire he shall fulfil god's utmost will unknowing his desire and he shall see old planets pass and alien stars rise and give the gale his reckless sail in shadow of new skies strong lust of gear shall drive him out and hunger arm his hand to wring food from desert nude his foothold from the sand his neighbor's smoke shall vex his eyes their voices break his rest he shall go forth till south is north sullen and dispossessed he shall desire loneliness and his desire shall bring hard on his heels a thousand wheels a people and a king he shall come back on his own track and by his scarce cold camp there shall he meet the roaring street the derrick and the stamp for he must blaze a nation's way with hatchet and with brand till on his last one wilderness an empire's bulwark stand end of quote this quest after the unknown this yearning beyond the skyline where the strange roads go down is of the very essence of the backwoods pioneer even though he was unconscious of its spiritual significance the pioneer was taught in the school of experience that the crops of one area would not do for a new frontier that the scythe of the clearing must be replaced by the reaper of the prairies he was forced to make old tools serve new uses to shape former habits institutions and ideas to changed conditions and to find new means when the old proved inapplicable he was building a new society as well as breaking new soil he had the ideal of nonconformity and of change he rebelled against the conventional besides the ideals of conquest and of discovery the pioneer had the ideal of personal development free from social and governmental constraint he came from a civilization based on individual competition and he brought the conception with him to the wilderness where a wealth of resources and innumerable opportunities gave it a new scope the prizes were for the keenest and the strongest for them were the best bottom-lands the finest timber tracts, the best salt-springs the richest ore-beds and not only these natural gifts but also the opportunities afforded in the midst of a forming society here were mill sites, town sites, transportation lines, banking centers, openings in the law and politics, all the varied chances for advancement afforded in a rapidly developing society where everything was open to him who knew how to seize the opportunity. The squatter enforced his claim to lands even against the government's title by the use of extra-legal combinations and force. He appealed to lynch law with little hesitation he was impatient of any governmental restriction upon his individual right to deal with the wilderness. In our own day, we sometimes hear of congressmen sent to jail for violating land laws, but the different spirit in the pioneer days may be illustrated by a speech of Delegate Sibley of Minnesota in Congress in 1852, in view of the fact that he became the state's first governor, a regent of its university, president of its historical society, and a doctor of laws of Princeton. We may assume that he was a pillar of society, and he said, quote, The government has watched its public domain with jealous eye, and there are now enactments upon your statute books aimed at the trespassers upon it, which should be expunged as a disgrace to the country and to the 19th century, especially is he pursued with unrelenting severity who has dared to break the silence of the primeval forest by the blows of the American axe. The hardy lumberman who has penetrated to the remotest wilds of the Northwest, to drag from their recesses the materials for building up towns and cities in the great valley of the Mississippi, has been particularly marked out as a victim. After enduring all the privations, and subjecting himself to all the perils incident to his vocation, when he has toiled for months to add by his honest labor to the comfort of his fellow man, and to the aggregate wealth of the nation, he finds himself suddenly in the clutches of the law for trespassing on the public domain. The proceeds of his long winter's work are reft from him and exposed to public sale for the benefit of his paternal government, and the object of this oppression and wrong is further harassed by vexatious law proceedings against him. Sibley's protest in Congress against these outrages by which the northern lumbermen were harassed in their work of what would now be called stealing government timber aroused no protest from his colleagues no president called this congressman an undesirable citizen or gave him over to the courts thus many of the pioneers following the ideal of the right of the individual to rise subordinated the rights of the nation and posterity to the desire that the country should be developed and that the individual should advance with as little interference as possible squatter doctrines and individualism have left deep traces upon american conceptions but quite as deeply fixed in the pioneer's mind as the ideal of individualism was the ideal of democracy he had a passionate hatred for aristocracy monopoly and special privilege he believed in simplicity economy and in the rule of the people it is true that he honored the successful man and that he strove in all ways to advance himself but the west was so free and so vast the barriers to individual achievement were so remote that the pioneer was hardly conscious that any danger to equality could come from his competition for natural resources. He thought of democracy as in some way the result of our political institutions, and he failed to see that it was primarily the result of the free lands and immense opportunities which surrounded him. Occasional statesmen voiced the idea that American democracy was based on the abundance of unoccupied land, even in the first debates on the public domain this early recognition of the influence of abundance of land in shaping the economic conditions of american democracy is peculiarly significant today, in view of the practical exhaustion of the supply of cheap arable public lands open to the poor man and the coincident development of labor unions to keep up wages certain it is that the strength of democratic movements has chiefly lain in the regions of the pioneer our governments tend too much to democracy wrote Izard of South Carolina to Jefferson in 1785. A handicraftsman thinks an apprenticeship necessary to make him acquainted with his business, but our backcountrymen are of the opinion that a politician may be born just as well as a poet. The revolutionary ideas, of course, gave a great impetus to democracy, and in substantially every colony there was a double revolution, one for independence and the other for the overthrow of aristocratic control but in the long run the effective force behind American democracy was the presence of the practically free land into which men might escape from the oppression or inequalities which burdened them in the older settlements. This possibility compelled the coastwise states to liberalize the franchise, and it prevented the formation of a dominant class, whether based on property or on custom. Among the pioneers, one man was as good as his neighbor. He had the same chance. Conditions were simple and free economic equality fostered political equality an optimistic and buoyant belief in the worth of the plain people a devout faith in man prevailed in the west democracy became almost the religion of the pioneer he held with passionate devotion the idea that he was building under freedom a new society based on self-government and for the welfare of the average man and yet even as he proclaimed the gospel of democracy the pioneer showed a vague apprehension lest the time be short lest equality should not endure lest he might fall behind in the ascending movement of western society this led him on in feverish haste to acquire advantages as though he only half believed his dream before him lies a boundless continent wrote de tocqueville in the days when pioneer democracy was triumphant under jackson and he urges forward as if time pressed and he was afraid of finding no room for his exertions even while jackson lived labor leaders and speculative thinkers were demanding legislation to place a limit on the amount of land which one person might acquire and to provide free farms de tocqueville saw the signs of change Quote, between the workman and the master he said there are frequent relations but no real association i am of the opinion upon the whole that the manufacturing aristocracy which is growing up under our eyes is one of the harshest which ever existed in the world if ever a permanent inequality of conditions and aristocracy again penetrate into the world it may be predicted that this is the gate by which they will enter but the sanative influences of the free spaces of the west were destined to ameliorate labor's condition to afford new hopes and new faith to pioneer democracy and to postpone the problem as the settlers advanced into provinces whose area dwarfed that of the older sections pioneer democracy itself began to undergo changes both in its composition and in its processes of expansion at the close of the civil war when settlement was spreading with greatest vigor across the mississippi the railways began their work as colonists their land grants from the government amounting altogether by eighteen seventy one to an area five times that of the state of pennsylvania demanded purchasers and so the railroads pioneered the way for the pioneer the homestead law increased the tide of settlers. The improved farm machinery made it possible for him to go boldly out onto the prairie and to deal effectively with virgin soil in farms whose cultivated area made the old clearings of the backwoodsmen seem like mere garden plots. Two things resulted from these conditions, which profoundly modified pioneer ideals. In the first place, the new form of colonization demanded an increasing use of capital and the rapidity of the formation of towns the speed with which society developed made men the more eager to secure bank credit to deal with the new west this made the pioneer more dependent on the eastern economic forces in the second place the farmer became dependent as never before on transportation companies in this speculative movement the railroads finding that they had pressed too far in advance and it issued stock too freely for their earnings to justify the face of the investment, came into collision with the pioneer on the question of rates and of discriminations. The Greenback movement and the Granger movements were appeals to government to prevent what the pioneer thought to be invasions of pioneer democracy. As the Western settler began to face the problems of magnitude in the areas he was occupying, as he began to adjust his life to the modern forces of capital and to complex productive processes, as he began to see that, go where he would, the question of credit and currency, of transportation and distribution in general, conditioned his success, he sought relief by legislation. He began to lose his primitive attitude of individualism. Government began to look less like a necessary evil and more like an instrument for the perpetuation of his democratic ideals in brief the defences of the pioneer democrat began to shift from free land to legislation from the ideal of individualism to the ideal of social control through regulation by law he had no sympathy with a radical reconstruction of society by the revolution of socialism even his alliances with the movement of organized labor which paralleled that of organized capital in the east were only half-hearted but he was becoming alarmed over the future of the free democratic ideal the wisdom of his legislation it is not necessary to discuss here. The essential point is that his conception of the right of government to control social process had undergone a change. He was coming to regard legislation as an instrument of social construction. The individualism of the Kentucky pioneer of 1796 was giving way to the populism of the Kansas pioneer of 1896. The later days of pioneer democracy are too familiar to require much exposition but they are profoundly significant as the pioneer doctrine of free competition for the resources of the nation revealed its tendencies as individual corporation and trust like the pioneer turned increasingly to legal devices to promote their contrasting ideals the natural resources were falling into private possession tides of alien immigrants were surging into the country to replace the old american stock in the labor market to lower the standard of living and to increase the pressure of population upon the land these recent foreigners have lodged almost exclusively in the dozen great centers of industrial life and there they have accented the antagonisms between capital and labor by the fact that the labor supply has become increasingly foreign-born and recruited from nationalities who arouse no sympathy on the part of capital and little on the part of the general public class distinctions are accented by national prejudices and democracy is thereby invaded but even in the dull brains of great masses of these unfortunates from southern and eastern Europe, the idea of America as the land of freedom and of opportunity to rise, the land of pioneer democratic ideals, has found lodgment, and if it is given time, and is not turned into revolutionary lines, it will fructify. As the American pioneer passed on in advance of this new tide of European immigration, he found lands increasingly limited. In place of the old, lavish opportunity for the settler to set his stakes where he would, there were frantic rushes of thousands of eager pioneers across the line of newly opened Indian reservations. Even in 1889, when Oklahoma was open to settlement, 20,000 settlers crowded at the boundaries like straining athletes, waiting the bugle note that should start the race across the line. Today, great crowds gather at the land lotteries of the government as the remaining fragments of the public domain are flung to hungry settlers. Hundreds of thousands of pioneers from the Middle West have crossed the national boundary into Canadian wheat fields eager to find farms for their children, although under an alien flag. And finally, the government has taken to itself great areas of arid land for reclamation by costly irrigation projects whereby to furnish 20-acre tracts in the desert to settlers under careful regulation of water rights. The government supplies the capital for huge irrigation dams and reservoirs, and builds them itself. It owns and operates quarries, coal mines, and timber to facilitate this work. It seeks the remotest regions of the earth for crops suitable for those areas. It analyzes the soils and tells the farmer what and when and how to plant. It is even considered the rental to manufacturers of the surplus water, electrical, and steam power generated in its irrigation works, and the utilization of this power to extract nitrates from the air to replenish worn-out soils. The pioneer of the arid regions must be both a capitalist and the protege of the government. End of section 33